0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. Isaiah 9, 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with great joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this it's god's word for his people today you may be seated let's pray once again and ask for god's help So, Father, we come now asking that you would give us the light of your Holy Spirit through your word to see Jesus, to be able to answer the question, what child is this? And not just then to walk away, but to live in worship and wonder of him. So this day we pray that you would show us the light that has shined in the darkness, the light that is the life of men. Come now, we ask, and do it for the glory of your name. Amen for uh, many people uh, around us these weeks in december aren't centered on their true meaning but there are things you'll find to be common among almost everyone you meet regardless of their belief there's a sense of hope there's longing and there is people on the search for meaning satisfaction searching for joy Now, where many of our neighbors and the nations try to find those things isn't where the Bible tells us that we'll find them. But walking through the grocery store or talking with colleagues at Christmas parties or chatting with your neighbors will surely reveal that this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. And everyone knows it. And everyone's looking for something that is going to turn it around. There's the hope that next year will bring what this year lacked or next year we'll give even more than this year brought because this year's good things didn't fully satisfy. And while these weeks are not about Jesus for many people, the hustle and bustle of these weeks prove everyone is hoping for, longing for something that always seems just out of reach. And it's always just out of reach because this world doesn't have the answer we're looking for. And that's one reason why we walk through these weeks of Advent at five points. And Advent simply means coming. We celebrate that what humanity needed most wouldn't be found within us, nor discovered in our world around us. It had to be done for us. It had to come to us. And so Advent is not only then the celebration of Jesus' first coming, it's also a season that trains us to continue to not find our ultimate hope and satisfaction and joy in the things of this world. But to wait expectantly with eager anticipation Jesus' second coming when He will fully save His people and inaugurate this kingdom that will never end. That's one reason why I love Advent. It doesn't shy away from the reality of the broken, sin-ravaged world that we live in. It doesn't shy away from it. It doesn't gloss over it. Like, I often have to re-wrap presents that I wrapped the first time because somehow there's, you know, the gift is still showing. I just can't ever get it right. Or the edges are all crumpled up because I don't know how to do it. Like that, That's not what Christians do when it comes to the reality of our world. In Christmas, we're not trying to just wrap over something. But neither are we just left with platitudes like we hear all around us, like everything's going to work out somehow. No, Advent equips us with real answers for the real problems that real people around us really face. And Advent equips us for those conversations in the coffee shop, in the driveway, in the office, or the house, or the family parties, or anywhere you find yourself this season, that yes, we can face the fact that things really are this bad. And yeah, every solution the world has ever offered has always come up short. But nevertheless, there is hope. Real hope. But how? How can there be hope if everything has always come up short that's around us? If nothing in this world can save us? That sounds more like foolishness than hope. And it would be foolishness, if not for God. And we have hope, because... Though only something outside of us and this world can save us, God has promised that very thing, that something, namely someone, will come, that he will save. And we see that theme that started in the beginning of scriptures unfold again in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, If you aren't familiar with Isaiah, uh, what has happened before chapter 9 is bloody war, Uh, has come to Israel because of their unfaithfulness to God. Their king, too, is idolatrous and prideful. He's unfaithful. His name's Ahaz. And as the Assyrians are coming, and they're coming as God's instruments of judgment against Israel's sin, God offers a way out of the disaster that looms on the horizon. Yet Ahaz was unwilling to humble himself before God. And that pride ensured his doom in the judgment of Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. Now, Isaiah says that Israel's sin, which then was culminated, it was put on full display in Ahaz's rebellion against God. Isaiah, at the end of chapter 8, says this rebellion and sin thrusts them into deep darkness. It sends them into a distressing time. They will face the gloom of anguish. Now that's the backdrop of the prophecy of this promised Savior in Isaiah 9. It was Israel's sin that thrust them into deep darkness. But God promised darkness would not always be what his people would know. And this pattern of sin leading to darkness and death is common in the Bible. So common, that's how it starts, isn't it? In Eden, when Adam and Eve thrust humanity into sin and death, and they did so by believing the serpent's temptation and choosing their own way above God's, that prideful rebellion against God, even in those moments, God promised in Genesis 3 that one day a seed of the woman would be born who would crush the head of the serpent once and for all. As that promise in Genesis 3 came in the darkness... So here in Isaiah 9, God promised that into the darkness would come a light that would put death's dark shadows to flight once and for all. This promise did not come because God's people deserved it. This promise didn't come and wouldn't be enacted upon them meeting any conditions to receive it. In other words, they didn't have to do anything for it to happen, and they didn't deserve it. In fact, verses 2 to 4 in Isaiah 9 go to great lengths to declare the exact opposite. They were walking in darkness, and upon them a light shone. Meaning, they weren't fumbling around and found the switch and turned the light on themselves. It was upon them, passive, this great light would shine. They didn't find their way out of the darkness. They didn't stumble around into a room filled with light. No, God sent his salvation into their darkness. He increased their joy when all they knew was gloom. They didn't unload their burden. God broke their burden. He he took it and broke it for them and freed them from it. And then verse 7 says this promised salvation is guaranteed. How? Why? Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this God who commands the armies of heaven will not be stopped in making his promise reality. You know, I've heard so many people say this year, um, it's it's often in sports, and you know I like sports. So it's often after a big win in a sports, uh, they, they stick the microphone in the person's face and they say, I spoke this into existence. And, and I've heard it. I, I've heard not just on TV, but I've heard people. I heard it in the coffee shop earlier this week. Someone was talking about something, and that they manifested it. And when so, something good happened, and they're like, "I spoke it into existence. I manifested." And this is not just out there in the world. There are false teachers in the church who say this is what we need to do this is what christians need to do declare out loud our desire or intention or the way things or the way we want something to be and somehow the universe will conspire to make it happen and that's a load of garbage it's based on the false teaching that you're the center of everything not god it's based on the false lie that everything in your life is a manifestation of your thoughts. But the God of the Bible is the God who is so sovereign over everything. The God of the Bible is in control of all things. The God who makes even the bad things, the bad things no one would ever speak into existence, work for the ultimate good of those who love him. And so, make no mistake, friend, the only one who can speak anything into existence is the God who did it in Genesis. And he isn't hoping somehow the universe conspires with him to make his desires reality. For he is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the armies of heaven, everything in heaven and earth at his command, and he will do it. So let me summarize what that means. This promise that into darkness will come a light, into our hopelessness will come a salvation, was promised not only did we not deserve it, but it is promised to become reality regardless of you meeting any condition to make it happen. God's zeal will do it. God will do it to display his glory. Who God is and not who we are is our hope, that into our darkness and death will light shine. One day, the world that we live in that isn't the way it's supposed to be will be the way it's supposed to be because this Lord will inaugurate a kingdom and that kingdom's life and joy will never end. And it's God's zeal for the glory of his name that ensures he won't fail in making this promise reality. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon God. And because God's zeal will make God's promise reality, then there's nothing meaning there's no one or no circumstance that can make it not happen, that can make it not reality. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Have you thought about that this Advent? The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Why is there real hope and true joy? Why is there a sense of wonder during these days? It's because, yes, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And yes, we can't do it. There's no amount of us pulling together that's going to make it better. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm not negating the other things that the Bible says about how we are to live. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it is not dependent upon us. That it's first upon, dependent upon the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Which means right now, God is super zealous to make this happen. No matter what it may seem like. that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is making this promised world reality one day soon. And that's a source of great abiding hope and joy. Are you lacking some hope and joy? Does the hope you have, does the joy you have, does it kind of flitter in and out? Here is a source of abiding hope, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. And it's yours if you're humble enough to admit your need of it. But God's promise doesn't end there. It gets even better, as God is very specific about how this promise will be fulfilled. When I tell my kids I have a surprise for them, I no longer tell them what it is. I used to give in after they begged me uh, for a little while, or, you know, for whatever reason, I'd give in and tell them what there is. But I learned very early on that I can't speak surprises into existence, no matter what someone on the TV tells me. And even my best laid plans get upended. So now I'm very vague about my surprises. Even though I know what I hope to do, so that if something comes up, and all I bring them home is something that's not really that amazing, especially compared to what I was hoping to bring them. They didn't know what I was hoping to bring them, so it's pretty amazing, because they had nothing before. Now they at least have something. Whether it's amazing or not, it's still something. Does that make sense? I hope it does. (laughs) But since God is God, and his zeal ensures his promises fulfillment, God does not have to be vague like me. He doesn't have to say, just wait, it's going to work out somehow. No, he does not have to be vague. He's very specific in Isaiah 9 about how his promise will be fulfilled. Look at verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now again, these verses are very familiar to us, but remember the context of Isaiah 9. What is it? Deep darkness, real gloom, and anguish. Judgment from God by war through the mightiest army around. And there's no hope that lies within you or around you. You need help. That's the context. But then you hear the help you desperately need is coming. Who, who is it? It's a baby and just one. (laughs) You're like, wait a minute, do you know how large the Assyrian army is? What's a baby and just one of them gonna do? You're walking in darkness. You're bearing a heavy burden you cannot bear. The sound of tramping warrior boots is coming at you. And what is coming to rescue you is a singular sun. I wonder if you've ever felt like the problems and pressures and needs you face are building to a breaking point. And the help God is in the moment isn't quite what you were hoping for. Like the help he's giving you isn't somehow connecting in your mind to the need that you're really facing? And I think that's because God knows our biggest problems aren't the ones that we can see. That doesn't mean those problems aren't real problems. But rather, they stem from the ultimate problem every person has. In this broken world, it's broken by sin and that sin has alienated us from god and one another and so we're meant to feel the weight of the darkness of isaiah 9 and then wonder along with the people who first heard these words from isaiah's mouth who will free us who will cast the darkness away forever who will finally change this world who will bring the joy and life forevermore we need and the answer is a son And if God wasn't God, that would be laughable and foolishness. Yet God graciously not only says a son will come to be the true help we all need, but God also fuels our hope in the son. God builds our trust in this child that's coming by telling us his name. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Which means this is not just any son This isn't just some random child. He's the son. And the more we come to know him, the more we'll come to realize that this promised son is the joy every longing heart is looking for. And so next Sunday, we'll dwell on the final two phrases of his name, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And for the rest of our time today, we'll focus on the son who is Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. Often during these weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, companies unleash highly anticipated products, and they do it around the holidays so their sales skyrocket at the end of the year, uh, and their reports are filled with profit. But sometimes these releases underwhelm critics and consumers alike. You've been waiting for this to come, and you finally, when it is... uh, Released when it's presented, when it's sent out and unveiled, you don't see what you were hoping for. Instead, you're thinking, really? <laughs> That's it? Well, we'll see how this goes. And so when God knows, or excuse me, God does know the human propensity to look on the outside, to evaluate by the things we can see, so when he reveals that his plan for the most terrifying realities in life is a baby, he reassures all will be well by telling us his name. That the son that is coming, the son that will be given is wonderful counselor. And I don't know about you, but if a baby is going to be the answer, he's got to be pretty wonderful. And good thing he is. And what does that word wonderful mean? The word wonderful is uh, it means extraordinary, it is supernatural, it is extraordinary, and it's only used of God in the Old Testament. It's only used of God in the Old Testament, like in Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Now, it's a rhetorical answer or question because the answer, as you all know, is no one. No one is like him. There is none other. And the wonders Moses sings about in Exodus 15 are the realities of the Exodus. When there was no other way, God miraculously saved his people in extraordinary ways. When behind them was death in an army and in front of them was death by drowning, God made a way. When there was no way, wonderful. That's the predicament as well in Isaiah 9, isn't it? And that's the predicament the world finds itself in today. That there's no way out of this within us, nor to be discovered around us. God must make a way. Which is why the son will be known as wonderful. A, A word, a name that's only ever used of God. And do you know what that means? If something that's only ever used of God is then used of this son, well then who is this son? God. God himself would break into the darkness of human history to save. And he has to, because it's not going to be found within us or within our world. And because God knows this, he promises to send himself. So this season may not be centered on Jesus for many of our neighbors, But the the reason that there's glimmers of wonder around us during the holidays, the reason that people get swept up in it as they hope and long and search for something is because the days that we are in are truly about the overwhelming wonder of the God who would come himself to save. And there's echoes of that all around us. Our neighbors in the nations may not know, why there's this sense of wonder that they can't put their finger on. But this is it, that God himself would come to save. He is wonderful. But Advent isn't only about wonder, it's also about wisdom. Wisdom. This son is the wonderful counselor. What sealed the deep darkness in Isaiah 9 was Israel's sin. And that sin was on full display as it culminated in their king's refusal to wisely heed God's word. In other words, their king didn't wisely lead them out of their darkness. He foolishly led them deeper into it. And that's the way of human wisdom. It cannot lead us out of the darkness we face. God's people need a king who knows the path of wisdom. And since this child is the wonderful God, he doesn't need counselors like human kings need. When I face something, when I'm wondering about something, I pray and I ask. I ask people who have been through it before. I ask other people who who I trust and know, they know the Word and they know me and they have my best in say. And I say, what do you think? What should we do? I ask, because I need counsel, but not this baby. He's the counselor. You know, when I don't know something, I can also go to the library and read about it, or I can open up my phone and ask Google. But here, in spite of all the knowledge in our world and the advancement of our technologies, we still can't solve our problems. But long ago, God promised a child who is the solution. And that's why Matthew ties the birth of Jesus to Isaiah's prophecies. In, in Isaiah 7. She will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The greatest problem we have. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wonderful, with us. Wisdom, with us. Jesus is this promised son who is wisdom incarnate. He is the only one who will lead us out of darkness. Are you facing darkness at the end of this year? Do you have problems that you wonder how God is going to work this one out? Well, you can trust Him because He's worked out the greatest problem you face in Jesus Christ, who will not lead us deeper into darkness, but will lead us out of it. And He did that by becoming a baby. This is God's wisdom on display. A baby a baby born in a manger a baby who would humbly submit to God every day of his life a baby who would then grow and be tempted in every way but never sin that then as a man became sin for us even though he never sinned and was crucified on the cross as he bore our burdens and carried our sorrows and though Jesus became foolish in the eyes of the world God exalted him as Lord over all which means Jesus always knew the right path and always took it. Because we don't need someone who would just show us the way. We need someone to be the way, to enable us to walk with Him, who will never leave us nor forsake us, but will bring us fully and finally to Himself. And this wise king didn't just come to reign over us. This baby didn't just come to then stay far away, in some palace far away, He did not just come to reign over us but to rescue us to dwell with us to be with us forever the wonderful counselor came to rescue sinful fools like us not only from the enemies outside of us but also from ourselves because left to ourselves we too like ahaz would just keep walking deeper into darkness and we'd always be seeking but never finding the way out but but to us A wonderful counselor has been born and so I wonder if these weeks have lost some of the wonder for you and if you're hoping that some holiday gift will show up or maybe not even for you but for the person you're sending it to and you want to see some joy light up some people's face or you're waiting for this party or that to happen or some good news on the horizon and you're just wondering You're wondering, and you've lost it. And whether it's the long years of life or the mounting disappointment, maybe it's because the joy you're hoping for isn't being sought in the promised Son who is wonderful and wise. And maybe it's because the things you look to for life and joy can't lead you out of the darkness. They only lead you deeper into it. Or they only lead you to another corner of the darkness and never out of it. But God, but God, when there was no other way, sent his son to be wonderful counselor. if you 've lost a sense of wonder, this advent, it will only be found in the wonderful counselor, and as that wasn't enough to fill us with wonder, God reveals something else to those in deep darkness. The promised son will be mighty God, mighty God. Think of it this way: How can we be sure? that the wonderfully wise counselor and the plan that they have, this promise they've said will be accomplished, how will you know it will actually come about? I can make a lot of promises. I make a lot of plans. I plan all the time. We have plans for Christmas and plans for New Year. We plan regularly, gathering all the pertinent information and brainstorm possible ways forward and then choose to plan to enact. And maybe you're unlike me, but you know what I often find? There are times when my perfect plan doesn't work. If your perfect plan works all the time, you should probably bottle that and sell it. And, and when my plan doesn't fail, it's sometimes because I didn't realize something, or know something, or uh, some, some, I'm just dumb sometimes. <laughs> I choose the wrong thing but there's oftentimes when i look at the plan and i go it it should have all worked i didn't fail in doing any of these good plans steps and then i remember i'm not god <laughs> and sometimes our perfect plans as perfect as they may be fail because we're not god And so praise God, he doesn't just send a wonderful counselor who can't actually do his counsel, who can't actually accomplish the plan of salvation. He also sends mighty God, mighty God. Now, what kind of might is this God, this child have? Well, we see it in in verse four, in the phrase, on the day of Midian, on the day of Midian. Now, that's shorthand. And if you were an Israelite in those days, you would know exactly what that meant. It's kind of like saying 9-11 today. You all know what happened on on the day of 9-11. Well, when someone says the day of Midian, everyone knew. But we're far removed from that. So this phrase refers back to Judges 7. When the Midianite army came against Israel, and Gideon summoned men to fight, and 32,000 showed up. Which was definitely not enough to make it a fair fight. And so, you know what God says? Well, He says this in Judges 7. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Well, if 32,000 wasn't enough, I don't think 10,000 is. And you would think, well, those guys were scared. As soon as they got an out, they hurried away. That's kind of a funny phrase if you think about it. Like, you're there, you're like, we can do this, we can do this. Your general says, if you're scared, you can go home. And a third of the people around you just bolt. You're left there standing going, for real? I thought that dude was with me till the end. He just said it. So you might think, well, these guys are scared. So they weren't going to be much help anyways. As Soon as the, the fighting got tough, those dudes would have bolted. So Israel might still have reason to boast if they prepare, uh, prevailed in this battle. So then God goes on in verse 4 saying, the people are still too many. Now if you were in this group, think about that. It's the same stuff that the people in Isaiah were f- feeling in the gloom and the anguish and the darkness when they heard everything they need. They can't find within or around, and God's going to send a baby? And then God says, okay, this is still too many. And you're like, you see how many people are down there from Midian? They're coming to kill us. There's a lot of them. Nope, there's still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them. Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. And now you realize why there's only very little left, because not many people lap up water like dogs. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Right? And the number of those lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped up water like dogs, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. This is the might of God on display. This is the might of this baby child. You're like, 300 men who drink water like dogs? Into the darkness, you're going to send a baby. Do You see what is going on here? There is no way, no way this can work. And then you read that last verse. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Who is going to save who? God is going to save them, and not by the strength of their might or in the number of people or soldiers they have, but by God's power. If you read the rest of Judges 7, you know what happened those 300 dudes didn't even take swords in with them they took torches and trumpets and clay jars if you're going to fight the midianites you really you really are going to trust god that he's mighty if you're bringing trumpets and clay jars into the battle with you and gideon at the sign or excuse me at the sign gideon gave they blew those trumpets They smashed their jars with those torches inside and cried out, for the Lord and for Gideon, and God saved. And you know how he did it? By miraculously, through his power and might, turning the Midianite soldiers against each other. So that no one in Israel could boast. Except they could stand there and go, that's our God. How mighty is God? How amazing is his power? There's 300 of us. We drink water like dogs. (laughs) Can a baby really save? Can 300 men really defeat a superpower army? Can there really be a seed of a woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent? Well, Humanly speaking, no. But God. Which is why the child pronounced in Isaiah 9 isn't only mighty, but he's mighty God. God with us. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Not God against us. God with us. God for us. God given to us. And if you wonder what the joy of these weeks are truly about, where it will be truly found, that's the joy of every longing heart. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God with us. So no matter what you see or hear this week, the real wonder of Advent is God with us, when it should be God against us. That's what the darkness is. That's what our sin deserved. Our sin plunged us into darkness because that's what sin deserves. Death, separation from God, no life, no joy. But in the hopelessness of sin's dark night, god didn't abandon his plan to dwell with his people when sin entered the world when he banished us from his presence in the garden that day when all we deserved was god against us god remained faithful to his promise to be god with us god for us and if you've lost the wonder of this season the real wonder of christmas maybe it's because you've been looking to something other than god with us to give you the hope and joy we all long for. The problem with living for something other than God with us, the problem with having something other than that God with us as your ultimate source of joy and hope, is that you're living against the grain of history. If you're putting your hope and joy in anything else other than God with us, if you're living for that, hoping for that, longing for that, you're going against the grain of history. Because the Bible begins with God with us. That God created man and woman to live with him. But when sin entered the world, he cast us out of his presence. Because if we would have stayed, we would have died. For holiness cannot dwell with sin. But God still made a way. In the darkness of that moment, though we were cast out of his presence, we were not cast out without the promise that God with us will be true again one day. And it starts in Genesis 3.15. That there is a seed coming who will crush sin and death and the darkness it brings once and for all and make God with us our reality once again. And that promise rings out throughout the pages of Scripture. And it rings out all the way until you reach the end of the Bible. And you see that the God who is with his people in the beginning will be the God who is with his people at the end and then forevermore. Listen to Revelation 21. This is what Christmas is all about. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice with the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. But what about this world that we live in? He will make all things new. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. That's the hope everyone longs for, whether they know it or not. That's what everyone is longing for. A world where you don't have to shut your doors at night or lock them. You don't have to worry about your kids, parents, or cancer, or sickness, or death, or this, or that. A world with no more worries and no more fears, no more crying, no more pain, no more night, no more darkness ever again. That is a glorious vision, isn't it? And it's not just a vision, it's a promise. It is what is coming. And the way God will be with us, as God with us forever, It's because he will defeat sin and evil and death with his might, with mighty God, by conquering sin and death once and for all. He will be mighty God for us. And he is mighty God for us in Jesus Christ. But, friends, the blessing of mighty God is only for those to whom the Son is given. To whom the Son is given. It's for to us. It's not for to all. To us. Who is that us? Those who hear this promise and believe and trust it. Those who look to this child as their only hope and trust. Those who long for and hope for and put everything within them in their being and put all their eggs in this basket of this son, this child for those who trust and believe. And the warning of Isaiah 9 is if this God is not for you, he is against you. He will defeat his enemies. He will cast out night and evil and darkness once and for all. He will remake this world and everything in it that remains opposed to him. The mighty God will deal with all his enemies one day. But before that day arrives, there is this call to come for you to be included in this us by coming in repentance and faith to Jesus, to turning to the mighty God rather than running from him, for this mighty God saves all who come to him. So come this day, friend, before this last day arrives and brothers and sisters of five points as we just contemplate all this as I was thinking about it all week the hymn kept coming to mind were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small meaning if I owned everything in the universe it would be too small a gift to give God for this love so amazing so divine it demands my soul, my life, my all. God's infinite might puts on, his, or puts on display his infinite love. God knew we could not save ourselves. And so the impossible must become possible. And the true wonder of Advent is into our darkness came wonderful counselor, mighty God. And that demands our soul, our lives, our all. And so may your adjo- abiding joy this Christmas come from knowing that unto us a child has been born. To us a son was given. And the son who was given in Bethlehem is coming again to make all things new. And joy upon joy, his next coming, like his first coming, is still not dependent upon you. For the zeal of the Lord will do it. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day when we will know unending joy, the unending joy of God with us forevermore. Let's pray. Our Father, we have no words to express the wonder of Isaiah 9 when we contemplate the reality of the darkness that sin and death brought the hopelessness that we truly had unless you acted so we praise you again for that promise that to us a son would be born that would overcome sin and death with his own righteousness and life and bring us back into relationship with you through his life death and resurrection And until that day when He finally comes, we wait. And so we pray that during these moments as we contemplate the blood that was shed to save us from sin and the body that was broken on our behalf, we pray that it would be the grace we need to continue to turn away from the things of this world and to renew our zeal for You. that as these weeks of Advent remind us to not put our hope in the things of this world, may these moments around the table continue to enable us by your grace to not find our hope and joy in the things of this world, but in Christ alone, who is our life. And we praise you, for without that life, we would still be in darkness. So give us the grace to contemplate wonderful Counselor, Mighty God in these moments. And then may praises forever be upon our lips. For you alone are worthy of them. Amen.